Hi, this is Andy Dolish, and this is One on One with ADC Partners. Hi, this is Dave Almy of ADC Partners. When Andy Dolich shoots you a note and says, hey, let's do a podcast episode together, the only possible response is, when do we record and how long do you have? It's fair to say that Dolich is a legend in the sports business world. He sat in the big chair for teams in three of the four major pro sports leagues. He's overseen both championship seasons and epic losing ones. He's worked for some of the greatest owners in sports and... Well, other owners as well. In short, he's one of the guys who helped transform sports business from an almost quaint operation into the multi-billion dollar economic behemoth that dominates the cultural landscape today. Best of all, Andy has opinions, and he is not afraid to share them. In this episode, he lays into the Oakland A's ownership, laments the appending devise of the Pac-12 and gets fired up about the fan-controlled football league, and much, much more. So buckle up, Buttercup. Here comes Andy Dolich. You were president of the Oakland A's for a considerable amount of time, and you, I think it's fair to say, sort of at the at the apogee of the A's experience with the whole Billy Ball piece and World Series appearances and wins, you know, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, just said, look, the condition of the Coliseum is a serious problem. It's not news. It's not a Major League quality facility at this point. Where, what's your take on what happened with the A's? And are they even going to be playing in Oakland in the next three years? Dave, it's so maddening and hurtful for so many people yeah. who worked in the organization under the Haases. I was lucky enough to be there for 14 years. You talked about World Series, great players, massive fan base. And when I see what's happened now, there's a few points that people seem to forget. Okay. Number one, any business, and you you guys analyze a lot of businesses, you have a lot of interactions teamwork, leadership, and trust. If you have teamwork, leadership, and trust in any undertaking, you can usually be successful. If you look at the current circumstance in Oakland, and we'll work backwards, okay. teamwork, nope, I don't think so. Not happening. Um, and, and the entities are elected officials, the baseball commissioner, and the other 29 owners and John Fisher, who, when I bring this up, people go, that's not possible. John Fisher has owned the team for 17 years. I saw that the other day and rubbed my eyes and did a double take. 17 years. And uh, this sounds made up. He has never once spoke publicly about why he owns the team. He's never even been on the ADC Partners podcast. Uh, despite multiple outreaches. I mean, it sounds comical, but it's true. Now he had he's had spokesperson over time, Lou Wolf, and now President Dave Cavill. But the level of of non-involvement between the elected officials, John Fisher, 
and Major League Baseball is maddening. I got to say, and I'm going to break in for one second here. Baseball is kind of famous for having some outrageous owners. And the one that pops right into mind is kind of the Marge shot thing, right? And for people who are not familiar with Marge shot, former owner, I mean, you, first of all, get to Waikipedia right away. Look up Marge shot, right? Because her dog Shotzi. Yeah, her dog Shotzi used to go and relieve himself on the baseball field and all this kind of stuff. Really a <laughs> challenging owner. Where does John Fisher fall in that spectrum of ownership? I mean, is uh, before I answer that question, when we played Cincinnati in the World Series, and that <laughs> was our worst loss, and even Tony Larusa, who never announces failure, even he said that was a massive failure of the organization. Mm. You know, we lost to the Dodgers, then we beat the Giants and had an earthquake, and then we lost to Cincinnati, and we were far and away the better team, but we lost. But <laughs> Uh, it showed me early on, you never want an owner to address a fan base. So they called Marge shot out, <laughs> Marge shot out. She's at home plate with Shotzi. And this is a time when we were engaged in hostilities in the Middle East. And she might've had a cocktail before. I can't imagine. He was, she was hoping for the best for all of our troops in the Far East. <laughs> she actually said that. <laughs> all of our troops in the Far East. Maybe she had a cocktail, yeah. but you knowing what I know about so, shot, maybe not. Anyway, back to ownership. <laughs> Where does John Fisher stand in the pantheon of ownerships? We wouldn't know because he doesn't talk. You really don't hear much from any other owners. The Giants really don't talk. And at one time, because of his father, Don, the founder of The Gap, solid businessman, great corporate citizen of San Francisco, they owned a piece of the Giants. Mm. And John said, well, if we own a piece of the Giants, why don't we own all of a team across the Bay? And I don't know that John has any significant involvement in Oakland other than the team. So the strangeness in this is not to know what the man's strategy is. Now, clearly, he's trying to create a horse race between Vegas and Oakland. Well, Oakland doesn't have any horses. Right. There's, there's no money there. And when the A's came out months ago with their $12 billion new urban ballpark city and i went that was 12 billion dollars I'm, I'm checking my couch cushions. what are you talking about no. even mission bay now which is a miracle we'll right. talk about that is that worth 12 billion dollars and how long it's taken for that to become the miracle that it is today well, and I think it's when you look at it in the context, what was the SoFi Stadium down in L.A.? I think people saw 5.5 billion and, and people were kind of, oh, you know, all my stars and garters about, you know, the, the cost associated with right. building that stadium. And you're and you're talking more than two X. So here you have I, I mean, let's get to, you know, the point. The A's are playing at the Oakland Coliseum and the A's will open the season next year at the Oakland Coliseum, in my humble opinion, mm -hmm. and the year after that. Now. They got a positive vote from BCDC who said, okay, you could build a ballpark on this 56 acre parking lot at Howard Terminal. Now there's other votes to come and there's at least three significant lawsuits 
pointed against them, which have some sort of ticking clock of 270 days. So that's next year. Rob Manfred, the commissioner, said you could move from Oakland if you want. Well, if you had your deal done in Vegas, which they don't have, why aren't they going to Vegas? Why? Because a, a uh, oh, the temperature at game time today is 118 degrees, but it only feels like 122. You'd have Perfect. to build a convertible dome stadium for a measly $1.6 billion. Who's paying a, for that? A veritable deal compared to what they want uh, to do in Oakland. So there's lots of talking. But and the ball's not I, moving. Yeah, when I see heavy equipment digging up a parking lot in Howard Terminal, okay. So lots of talk, lots of negotiation, but until John Fisher, who, is, who has said multiple times, this is going to be 100% privately financed. Private, I think, means private. Public means public. I don't know. I mean, they both begin with P. I get confused. So it is It is gut-wrenching because yeah. 70, 78 million people have come through the turnstiles to see the Oakland A's play at the Coliseum. And I have this picture, this wonderful picture of a complete sellout on a Wednesday day game. Right. 48,000 people. And I went a few weeks ago. And I literally, Dave, counted 2,108 people. Yeah, you had uh, your own section. They announced 5,300. <laughs> this is a self-inflicted mess that could be solved in 15 minutes if they looked at the Coliseum and said, you know, this could be an East Bay example of China Basin or Mission Bay. The transportation hub is there. Um, you don't have any of the environmental concerns, and that part of Oakland could be a shining light, just like Emeryville 10, 15 years ago. You looked at Emeryville and went, Emeryville? You what? tried to speed up as you went through. And look at it now. Yeah, it's a destination. All right, well, so that's one uh, <laughs> barrier. I'm not emotional about this. Not at I all. <laughs> no, no, I love the calm, measured tone throughout yeah. the entire thing. <laughs> Okay, so from one challenging Bay Area sports property to the next one, the uh, the former Pac-12, um, which is now again the Pac-10, uh, which could be, you know, if depending on which news report you hear, could soon be the Pac-6 or the Pac-4. Um, what the hell happened to the Conference of Champions? Here's the area that I don't understand. Um, USC is a private institution. Correct. But UCLA is a public institution. There's that public-private thing again. Now, but let's look at the public institution. Uh, the commissioner of the Pac-12, the new commissioner, um, said, oh, I didn't know anything about this. It was a deep, dark secret to other athletic directors. And it was a deep, dark secret to the governor but wait a second, this is, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. How does a public institution of California just decide, hey, don't tell anybody, we're going for the green. Yeah, keep it on the deal. Don't worry, but don't tell John Wooden, don't tell the Bruins, don't, we're going. Do you, I mean, I know the governor has come out and said, hey, we're going to have, we're going to make he said something along the lines of, we're going to make UCLA tell us 
why they're moving. And I mean, well, do we real? I think we're all pretty clear on why they're making the move. I mean, the athletic department was 60, 70 million. I, I don't know the exact number, but tens of millions of dollars in the financial hole, which they literally solved by making this one move. So what do they really need to tell in, us? In the scope uh, of items that you and I talked about before, we've talked about it today, I've always said the color of the fluid that flows through the veins of sports, especially business of sports, is green. Sure. Now, let's look at, let's stay in college for a bit. Let's look at conference jumping. Mm -hmm. Let's look at NIL, name, image, and likeness, which people are still trying to figure out. How does that work? Does the money get aggregated? How many athletes in a college athletic program are actually going to make anything? Do they understand that it's taxable? So if they look at 40,000 and they spend 50 and then they're 30 in the hole and their knee pops out, oops, that doesn't work out great. And then there's the idea of collectives. I mean, it's a mess. Yeah, so the, the latest view that I have is, you know, sound mind, sound body, which is now morphed to student athlete. Yeah. Which part of that is oxymoronic? in many instances. Right. Um, and, and when you drill down, Dave, to amateur sports, the best ninth grader is talking about an NIL deal. Or, yeah, maybe I'll skip college and go directly to the G League or play in Europe because I'm great. So where did play for fun go for young athletes? And you and I have been lucky enough to go through this with our children mm -hmm. as they grew up and grown up. And I'm now dealing with grandchildren and want them. <laughs> I'm to not there yet. Active. Play for fun is sort of over. Yeah. Now it's play seriously. What travel team you're on? Quit your high school team so you can play on the travel team. And this morphs to what we see with USC and UCLA and others to come, where the balance is totally screwed in terms of why are you going to school and what are the schools doing? I was gratified to see Major League Baseball Player Association Chief Tony Clark come out and say the youth travel baseball is a disaster and it's fundamentally broken. We cannot ask families to spend five figures a year carting their kids around to garden spots like Modesto in the middle of the summer and play. Oh boy, I, I went through it. Um, you know something about twins. I know something about twins when they wanted to separate my daughters who were pretty good soccer players and basketball players and why don't you play on two teams? And I go, why don't you write me a check for $25,000? I can only do, do the math. so many unnamed Applebee's or Motel 6s. Oh, we're going to Sacramento. It's uh, 104. What a wonderful. When opportunity. the Olive Garden represents a great night out, you know that you've gone down a dark And nothing dark against path. them. They're nothing wonderful. Against They're the good folks from the garden. But this sort of ratcheting, pushing down to competitive levels where play for fun is disappearing. So I'm also interested in your perspective, someone who's been in the big chair and have everybody looking at you. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, getting back to the college thing in the Pac-12 slash 10 slash six, 
you know, it wasn't that long ago that Larry Scott was a visionary for what he did with with the conference. And I'm, and now he's clearly not, right? He's getting a bit excoriated for not being you're, a You're a visionary when the money at that time and the deals seem, holy mackerel, what wow. a deal maker. Look at what ADC did yeah. with this client. You know, Dolish sold the naming rights to FedEx in Memphis for a good chunk of change. But you look at dollars and cents back to green. Here's, here's a few numbers that still boggle my mind. The Haas family bought the Oakland A's in late 1980 for $11 million in change. There are second basemen in Major League Baseball now whose names I don't know that are making more than $11 million. <laughs> the DeBartolo family bought the 49ers from the Morabito family for, I think, $18 million. Franklin Muley bought the Warriors for $18 million. And today, you know, Joe Lacob's running around like, yeah, we're worth $5.2 billion. Five, $6 billion. It's become so, an entirely you know, different animal. And you look at it and, and back to our point of USC and UCLA, <clears throat> where for years their venues would be chock full of paying fans, parking, bratwurst, beer, soda. Now, I think they just released the prices that it takes a family of four to go to a major And there's baseball fewer game. and fewer people there. And the remainder, I mean, Stanford, Cal, Oregon, um, you and I uh, traded messages the athletic footwear business in the United States last year accounted for $40 billion of revenue. Now there's some swooshes and there's some Under Armors and there's some yeah, other yeah. companies in there. A lot of that is made through participant athletes deals with schools. And what is Phil Knight thinking? He's underwritten massive positive programs at Oregon, his school, and at Stanford, where he went to B school. How is he viewing this see you later by USC and UCLA? Because that's damaged the conference significantly. And uh, Mr. Klaviakov, like, oh, what a wonderful new job this is. Do you have advice for him? I mean, if you if you bumped into him on the street and thought about it from your perspective of having been in just about every major professional league I can think of and being in the big chair, do you do you look at him and say, hey, I'm going to buy you a cup of coffee because I want to tell you this? Well, you, you never want to pontificate because you don't know all the details. But I, I believe that with all of this movement, with the massive amounts of capital that are available. I mean, just at Cal Berkeley, you look mm -hmm. at people who, men and women who have gone on to be leaders in businesses, not just in this country, but all over the world, Stanford, Oregon, Washington. I would bring a task force together in non-secretive mode and say, okay, here's the circumstance. What are we going to do about it? Right. How proactive can we be? How agile and nimble can we be? And more importantly, if you have people like Phil Knight, who I do think represents the quality of sound mind, sound body, why don't we go back to that? Why don't we look at schools and create our own, what I've talked about, SAC conference? And then go like, what's an SAC? A student athlete conference. Right, schools who would be quality, committed to that. Yeah. Quality schools 
And if you look at corporate funding, whether they're shoelanthropists, that's a word I just made up, or, or other millionaires and billionaires. Hashtag it. Yeah. Can't you go back to what school is all about? It is going to be it is going to be fascinating to watch how conferences unfold or infold. I think I just made up a word. Infold. Infold over the next couple of years because I think or like fold, a lot of or just fold. Yeah. Or fold. Where the money, the money doesn't work. We look at, you know, it's sort of like the business of restaurants, Dave. I wouldn't want to be in the restaurant business today. Couldn't connect upon never. what happened. And if I'm sitting there as the president of a university, the athletic director, the board of trustees, and incidentally, the board of trustees at UCLA and USC, this was all a secret. And they all said, hey, sounds great to me. Uh, investigation. Well, you nailed it. I mean, I think it's they, they looked at the challenges associated with the athletic department. And they just said, we can turn this key and leave the Pac-12. I mean, what's our, you know, I've always, it's see it almost like a game of musical chairs, right? You know, the first two chairs got taken by USC and UCLA. And now everybody else is looking around going, oh, son of a gun. Yeah. There's not that many chairs left, so we better grab the first one. Final point on that one, you know, tickets and associated income and demographics and kids growing up with their favorite college where their parents went. Mm -hmm. This is today's ticket. Yeah, it really right? is. This is it. So is that even the now it'll be the big 16 for those of who are just listening, Andy is holding yeah. up a uh, what looks oh, like I'm a slab of a... black plastic and glass. Yeah, it's an Android phone. It's ancient. Uh, <laughs> but that's how people are living their lives today. Well, which is a good segue to talk about fan-controlled football, right? Because the device, the, the mobile phone, which to even call it a phone is sort of irrelevant. I don't even know anybody who really uses it as a telephone. esp -er. It's an esp -er. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it kind of plays a, an integral role in fan control football, which you're obviously deeply involved with. And fan control football just wrapped its second season, correct? Correct. What are some of the biggest learnings? What, how are you seeing fans engage with it? What What are going to be the next steps for, for the fan control football league? Yeah. Well, we're part, I was approached by scary, smart young people, right? You have some experience, you and Andy, like you have a lot of. No one smart approaches me there. That's what they're well, smart. Okay, they know, they know better. <laughs> and, and they go, well, what about this? And how about that algorithm? And, yeah, you know, yeah. can you do this? And, and uh, you know, tell me about, you know, cyber world and let's talk crypto and like, whoa, 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 settle down. Yeah. So when these Those guys are made up words. Yeah, when these guys first came to me, it was like, hey, you've been involved, you were involved in TBT, the basketball tournament, wonderful tournament in year nine. I was watching last night from Rucker, from the Rucker Park. World famous Rucker. Oh, it was just magnificent. Anyway, I like to see what's out there in the windshield, not the rearview mirror. Mm -hmm. And what uh, immediately grabbed me was we're going to take the fans in behind the curtain, because that's where everybody wants to be. And I said, tell me more. And they said, well, we've, we have some scary smart people who've figured out latency, meaning not late. We can make calls in 20 seconds from around the world. We pick four plays, fans can vote on the four plays, immediately goes to the quarterback. 
we will ultimately set the stage for gaming in the future, legalized gaming, and you don't have to pay anything. And I went, okay, and how are we going to do this in what sport? And they said, we're going to do it in indoor football, arena football, because it is easy to sort of pick plays and prognosticate. It's in an arena. So controlled environment. Holy mackerel. So five years ago, uh, the, the founders bought a team in the IFL, the Indoor Football League, uh, the, the Iowa barn, Barnstormers, right? Yeah. Where Kurt Warner's magnificent story was told. And uh, the fans voted on the city, it happened to be Salt Lake, on the name, the Screaming Eagles, based upon World War II great heroic pilots uh, who flew, what, B-17s, you know something about this. And, and it worked and it worked. So yeah. pre-COVID people actually came to the arena, but people from all over the world were calling plays. So was this fan controlled football versus other arena control? Yes. Just arena football they, let us so, yeah. play, they let us play with sort of our uh, protocols yeah, yeah. And, and it worked. And then the founders said, well, maybe we should buy the rest of the league. And of course, when you have nine other owners, that's going to take a while, be complicated. And it's like, all right, let's pop up our own league. Then COVID hit. And we were the beneficiaries of COVID because that was non-spectators at sporting events. We didn't need anybody to come right. to the games. Yeah, yeah, you could do it all remotely. They, they had it on their laptops, on their pads, on their phones. And so we played in an arena, uh, the Infinite Energy Center in Atlanta. It started to attract people from the entertainment business. I mean, we have Joe Namath, uh, Joe Namath, Joe Montana as one of our uh, advisors. Um, I think Joe and, Namath is up to other stuff. And Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> and I know you're a big fan of Quavo, the rapper. And, you know, Johnny Manziel played and T.O. Mm -hmm. T.O. played. And people started to go, holy mackerel. And there's so many great athletes in every sport yep. that might not be starters on a, on a big team. And so that gave us the opportunity to have the money that came in from investors who went, oh, you're an immersive sport. You're clearly an immersive sport. Really, yeah. The company is, you know, uh, fan-controlled sports and entertainment, and I just keep talking about us as an immersive sport. The second season went extremely well. Uh, we had spectators at our arena that we built. It's sort of our own uh, FCF dome called Pullman Yards, where they used to make Pullman rail cars. Yeah, cool. Going back to what we talked about yeah, really. a while ago. And we're going to experiment with three-on-three -three basketball coming up in a few months. And yours truly is secretly leading a group that will present fan-controlled baseball in 2023 because baseball is the perfect kind of sport. And just imagine being able to tell the pitcher what to throw. This is going to be your next pitch. What happens when he shakes off 30,000 people? They're going to start throwing things. Uh, well, I can't release <laughs> that information now. We have a special mechanical uh, button. <laughs> Does the mound just open up? <laughs> but if you, you know, for the fans, seriously, for the fans that watch the All-Star game, 
the other night, it was it was sort of a Cirque du Soleil. I mean, baseball finally took some chances and they had pitchers talking to the announcers and and the umpires. You could hear their calls. It humanized a game which is losing its demographic back to where we started with the Oakland A's. I, uh, I had an opportunity to uh, do a podcast not that long ago with the great Jason Pearl of the San Francisco Giants, who's been there. I think he's celebrating his 30th year. One of the great loyalty organizations in all of sport. But he talked about baseball not always being first out of the gate with new ideas and concepts, right? He, he said, we were talking about in the context of jersey patches. And he said, but you know what, in second and third, we're, we're doing a better job of being more aggressive about trying new things to having the media opportunities about talking to the pitcher in the middle of the innings and things like that. Right. That's Major League Baseball, like many other sports, you know, if you look at COVID, the NFL just went, we're the NFL. COVID? Yeah. Just get out of the way. Whatever. I mean, literally, they yeah. just, we don't care. The other yeah. sports were significantly affected and baseball is like turning around an aircraft carrier in a bathtub because of ownership because of players association because of history um in fan controlled sports and entertainment in baseball are we going to play you know four hour games no we're going to have time and and the other night i really wish the game would have been because they were going to do home run derby Mm -hmm. that's how our games will be decided if they're tied and and here's here's a rule or two that is a great um, idea you're you're sitting there in in the stadium right and we're going to have a stadium that's going to have some flexibility even to the point of hey there's no home runs hit let's move the walls in 15 feet which you know, <laughs> right. hydraulic hydraulic walls everybody loves the long ball so it's a foul ball and it's a foul ball from the home team all right if you catch it you get free swag and your player gets, let's say, hypothetically, two more swings. Okay. If you catch a foul ball from the opposing team, the batter's out. Oh, batter's out. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, you're going to have, you talk about people going crazy for foul balls. I mean, well, you look at foul balls, the, the, the video of the father holding his four month old baby and a beer in one hand and catching it, you know, like, oh, that's a really good idea. All right. So baseball in 2023. We'll have fun. We'll create our own field of dreams and schemes. I want to talk about your other, the other piece that we were discussing the other day about LOL loss logo and you know, what's the next move. So this is the book that you've recently published about finding a job in sports there it is it's real and it it is a real uh, book and and it's printed on actual paper and i didn't have to pay for it (laughs) they just sent it to you how about that that is not so bad words and stuff in it (laughs) (laughs) those pages aren't even blank wow and and you know it's it's part of i i got it it's part of three books that i've written now Uh here's another one um this I'm very proud of with a bunch of colleagues from Ohio University. And it it talks about what we've talked about before. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think's changed for people who are trying to get a job in sports or or move up in sports? Yeah. Has the skill set changed appreciably appreciably in the last 20, 30 years? Or do some of the same when you're having the conversations, all the people that you had to write the book? Yeah. 
do the same themes keep presenting themselves? Yes. Okay. Um, and I'll just relate a story. You know, my son, he is in the sports business. He recently walked away from his job of 12 years with the mega successful Portland the Timbers, Timbers yeah. and Thorns to enjoy his life for a while before uh, the next chapter. And he worked up in Sacramento with our good friend, Alan Ledford, with, you know, introducing the River Cats to the marketplace, mm -hmm. massively successful. And my daughters were in college on the East Coast. And I said, ladies, you know, your mother and I are spending a fair chunk of change sending you to this defeat institution. <laughs> One was a, a lit major, great future in that. And the other was for book know, writing. Yeah, no. Well, she's she teaches at Stanford, so I she's doing fine. Um, and the other one, you know, was a business major and the, you know, identical twins, but one had a bigger mouth than the other. So the unnamed twin, Karen, said, <laughs> who just well, got named? <laughs> dad, well, dad, let me see if I got this correct. You've had a great career. We've been able to run around the offices of the Oakland Coliseum playing you know, tag and stuff. Our brother at that time, he's working in minor league baseball. That proves that, that any moron could succeed in this business. And she really <laughs> said that. Thanks, and honey. Went, okay, you got it. You got it. So yes, we now have a massive influx of numbers in all sports, right? You've covered it in many of your podcasts, analytics, metrics. Mm -hmm. I absolutely appreciate the digital delivery of sport however mm -hmm. we talked about it before if you don't have heart and soul for the business you've been in it you know you can't fake a 12 game homestand in baseball if you're right. working right you can't fake 15 seasons working for a team and uh, you can't fake going nine and 73 with the Philadelphia 76ers in the first job that I ever had. So what I tell young people, and I love to mentor, and I'll talk to anybody, anytime, anywhere about a job, because I think we all are brothers and sisters in this crazy business of sports in any realm from A to Z, run to chaos and disaster. Go to where things are falling apart and not working well. How many resumes did the Golden State Warriors get on the Monday after they won the championship? A billion and seven. And how many resumes did whoever had the worst record in the NBA Three. get? None. Or the Detroit Lions last year. That's where I want to go. That's what I tell young people. And even though we have so much more sophistication, in today's world, you still have to generate money. Where did this conversation start today? With money. Yeah, okay? it's the theme that's you been running analyze, through this whole you can, you can crypto this, you can disassemble that, you can stream, you can do anything. But if you can't sell, in no matter how you're selling it, it used to be little pieces of cardboard, right? Tickets. LBCs. Now it's little pieces of carbon. Yeah, they go into these digital devices. So be a seller. And when I'm speaking to people, and you've done this too, and Andy, and you mentioned sales, and they go, ooh. Yeah, ooh, everybody leans back a ooh, little bit. Sales. Grit their teeth. Well, how many people are going to be the general manager? One, 
how many people are going to be in the sales staff? 60, yep. 40, 20. I, I'm not a numbers guy, but I'll take 60 over one. Yeah. And I, I'll be honest with you. Like I push back against the idea of people when people start to go lean back in their chairs a little bit about, oh, you know, sales, I, I don't want to do that. That's so tough. I mean, that's all people do all day long anyway, is sell, whether it's an idea, a concept, yourself to someone else, whether you're trying to get a job, it's all sales. That's the subliminal reason that I throw sales in there. Yeah. Is I want you to sell me on the quality that you have, young, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. young person. And if you can't sell yourself, then how As are you, you going to do it? Move on the the ladder of moving up in a team, then you're going to have a problem short of a sperm cell meeting an egg <laughs> and you wake up and you own a team. Yeah. That doesn't <laughs> yeah. happen a lot. Yeah. The boy, the other one you brought up early, and I want to make sure to emphasize this is that I, you know, that that you can't fake a 12-game homestand. Boy, the word authenticity gets thrown out a lot in this business both from brands trying to be authentic and reaching fans and you know the teams themselves trying to be authentic and how they market themselves and things like that but it really does boil down to that idea that you have to be your authentic true self in these kinds of things because people pick up on the on the falsity yeah i mean Let's say we're in the restaurant business. Will uh, oh, you really we'll seem have, to want to get into the restaurant business? Well, second no, reference. Yeah, tough business to be in, but Ugh. we're in the restaurant business, and our restaurant is called the Oakland Coliseum, and our uh, menu is Oakland A's baseball, major league baseball. Right. Hi, our restaurant sucks. Uh, we've got <laughs> uh, feral cats and possums. Not on the menu. You can't eat them. We're charging you more for parking than a 10 uh, ticket package. And we just got rid of uh, seven of our best chefs who were really well known because we couldn't afford them. And we really don't want you to come to our restaurant and we don't know when we're open and you're going to have a terrible experience. Why don't you come in? We're having an oyster special. Like, no, you've, you've got to sell the positives. I literally, I don't think I'm ever going to be hungry again after that. Discussion. Nobody's, you know, not everybody's going to win a championship. But right. if you if you have a restaurant and you're not doing absolutely the best job in a competitive nature, especially in the Bay Area. Where it's too, it's macro, so, so you know, competitive. You've got championship teams who... I was watching Steph Curry last night at the ESPYs and he nailed it. Yep. It was absolutely terrific. Yep. Um, those players come along once every two or three decades and we've had a ton of them in the Bay Area. Yep. And so the self-inflicted circumstance of the A's is a simple business proposition back to the individual. You want to go someplace where you could make a difference and where you have an organization that wants to turn things around, which you see in all manner of businesses that might be lagging, but they have new ownership and boom, they come back with a vengeance. Okay. So, well, thanks for going into that. And I'm, you know, we're getting ready to wrap up here, but there's one more topic that I, um, I need to hear. Rap, that sounds very show businessy. You know, it's partners. It's wow. kind of how we walk around here, yeah, Mr. We, Dulwich. We're, we're, we're getting ready to wrap. wrap. Yeah. I'm going to give you one last little piece of buzz to be able to put out to the market. I have to get your opinion 
on uh, the new golf tour. And I'm not naming it because first and foremost, I'm not exactly sure how it references itself. Is it uh, the, the Roman number 54? Is it 54? You asked that as a trivia question. <laughs> most people, we're not going to mention the name, right? All right, all right. Most people would go, I don't, it would either be the first name an actress, last name Tyler, okay. or others, and they'd go, 54. <laughs> the 54 what? tour? What is, is it live? Is Do it you live? know what it stands for, the 54? I have, I have no idea. It's other than a studio in New York. A, a regular tour event plays 72 holes. Ah, uh, got it. This 54. tour plays 54 holes. Got it. All 54 right. holes. Shorter. All right. So finally, and, all right. Somebody who yeah. can explain this to me. Thank you. All right. So that's not the... I, they are literally chucking money at people to join this this tour right and to pretty good effect right now right you have a number of players i mean what cameron smith the guy who just won the british open he won two and a half million dollars for the british open and he looks like he's going to cash a check for 90 million dollars to go over to to the new yeah team. remember when we were talking about you know the haas family purchasing the team to bartolo like that guy won two and a half million dollars for playing golf for four days. Right. Yeah, that's great. That's a tip. You <laughs> just got $90 million to play only 54 holes. All um, right. So you're I'm, you're, you're, I'm asking you to sit in yet another seat. Uh, you're the commissioner of the PGA Tour. Are, are you worried? What's your position on all this? And how are you treating it? Absolutely. Back to our friends at the Pac-12. Um, yep. You know, what kind of rules and regulations? You're off the tour. You can't play in the majors. I'm, I'm very concerned because even quality players who are speaking against that other 54-hole tour, you're going to go where the money is eventually. Yep. Right. Um, because so many players are struggling and we don't even hear about players that we don't know that are going to the tour. So I would want, if I'm that other tour, I would want some portion of that money going to junior golf programs. Mm. So I can, you know, around the world in maybe underserved places, if I'm getting 90 large, yeah. What's three or four million dollars to, you know, go to Australia, right? Where where the champion, you know, is from. Well, I mean, clearly it's been talked about at length that this new tour is the Saudi government's method or way to try to rehabilitate what has become pretty negative image on the global stage. And golf is one of the tools with which they're doing it. So what you're right. talking it's about. It's a there, global sport yeah. and you have to watch out for other global sports. Let's look at China, 300 to 400 million basketball fans. Mm -hmm. I don't want to give Adam Silver Ajita, but if China decided, and there's a Chinese Basketball Association, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure, but their future president, Yao Ming, who will be the tallest president in the history of presidents. I would say so. What if China just said, you know what? Hey, LeBron, um, you're making a measly 250 million. Uh, I give you three quarters of a billion. A straight up billion to come over and play. Yeah, because the Lakers aren't any good. Well, buy the whole damn team right? Um, and bring them over. So there's such incredible wealth creation in the world. And I, I guess the only positive, Dave, is it seems that people are looking to use sports as a way to sell a bad political image, turn around something that 
you know, happened in their history. And I would say this as we get, you know, to the red zone or whatever you call it on ADC <laughs> partners, sports literally is the last town square left in our society. Mm. And even though we've talked about many ills over the last hour, the positives still outweigh the ills by a ton. Right. And that is why people love it so much at all different kinds of demographics, all ages. You know, we talked about the Rucker tournament and TBT and fan control this and the NFL. There's a crowded landscape, pickleball, which is taking over the United States. Uh, people still love to be engaged. And it's one of the last places that the red and blue team can actually coexist. Andy Dolich, legend in the sports industry. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. I think I've got another like six topics we can talk oh, about. We'll, we'll come have to back do in a two. few months. And remember, <laughs> uh, with all the stuff that ADC might not have got to, life in the front office, LIFO, is... Uh, and Dave, we'll have to have you and Andy on if we haven't had you on already. But it's Fred Clare, who basically was with the Dodgers forever and still is. Uh, my good friend, Pat Gallagher, another incredible. He's not a legend. He's a leprechaun of sports. And yeah, he's a fine Jake, practitioner. Young Jake Hirschman, uh, an Ohio University colleague. And uh, we talk about the same kind of issues. And for all those young people out there that might be listening, I would say with great pride, I'm your poster child. If I could have had and I'm having the career that I've had, in the words of my daughter, Karen, so can you. So be well, run to chaos and disaster and listen to ADC partners as much as you can. So stop listening to this podcast. Get over to Life in the Front Office, where you can hear more of Andy Dolich, Pat Gallagher, Fred Clare. Uh, it's a great one. It's on my subscribe list. Uh, you should definitely make it a part of yours. But for this particular version of One-on-One -on -one with ADC Partners, thank you, Mr. Andy Dolich, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for listening to this ADC Partners podcast. For more information about ADC Partners, please visit our website at adcpartners.com.